Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, the gospel text that we have this morning is a conversation between Jesus and a man that the text calls a lawyer. Now, that title might be a bit confusing. We, we all have a picture of a lawyer in our head, a man who stands in a nice suit before a judge and argues a case. Perhaps we could better translate it then, an expert in the law. And the law that he's an expert in is the law of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This man, in other words, is a Bible scholar. And he comes to Jesus for two reasons, and they're given to us explicitly in the text. His his agenda, his motives, what he's up to in this conversation. He is, on the one hand, trying to prove Jesus wrong. He wants to test Jesus. And he is, on the other hand, trying to prove himself right, to justify himself. So he asks two questions. The first question is this, what must I do to be saved, to enter into the kingdom of God? Now, remember that he's asking this question not because he actually wants to know the answer to the question. After all, he's a Bible scholar. He, he figures that if he knows the answer to any question, he knows the answer to this question. He's asking this question in order to trick Jesus. But the Lord then responds with his own question. This is verse 26, Luke chapter 10. He says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You, after all, are a Bible scholar. So he answers and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So we see that our law expert here is really given over to the law. In fact, he's a legalist. He knows this, that only the perfect and righteous ones will see the face of God, but he gives an absolutely 100% completely law answer to the question. But here's the thing. The law on this expert teacher of the law had not done its complete work. It had not finally reached the purpose for which the Lord sent it. The law had not yet shown this man his own sinfulness. It had not yet pushed him to despair of himself. And so Jesus will. He will throw him completely on the law. So Jesus says to him, verse 28, You've answered correctly. Do this. Keep the law. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you'll live. Now, at this point, most of us would be toast. (laughs) Lord, who could do this? Lord, who can keep the law perfectly? Lord, who can love you with all of their heart Soul, strength, mind, who, who, who can do that? And who can love their neighbor as themselves? Not, not me. Lord, have mercy upon me. That would have been our reaction. But not this Bible scholar. Not this lawyer. He's going to come back to Jesus with another question, which the text says he asks in order to justify himself. Listen, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, we have to stop on that question. In fact, we have to stop for quite a while on that question. 
Because while this question seems innocent enough, it isn't. It is, in fact, a deadly question. It is a poisonous question. And this question, who is my neighbor, is really the entire problem. In fact, when we understand it rightly, I'm convinced that Jesus is telling the parable of the Good Samaritan not to answer the question, but actually to show how bad the question is. But first we have to understand how how this question would actually serve to justify himself. And then we need to see that this question has no right answer. Finally, we'll see how the parable is against the very question. But first things first, how, and we have to understand this, how would this question be used by this Bible teacher to justify himself? How could the question, who is my neighbor, be used to show his own righteousness? The answer is that this lawyer, this Bible scholar, wants to make a list of the people that he is required to love And on the other hand, and this is the catch, he wants to have from Jesus a list of the people that he's authorized not to love. He wants to soften the requirements of the law. This person is my neighbor, and this person is not. This man wants to make the neighbor list. He wants to have a group of people that that he has to love and another group of people that he doesn't. And if he's loved the people that are on his list, then he's kept the law and he's on the way to eternal life, never mind all of the people that he's never loved one bit at all. This is the dreaded neighbor list. And we've talked about it before. I had the privilege this week of of going out to Buckley Air Force Base, and at each security checkpoint, there was about 30 of them that we had to go through, at each security checkpoint there's a list And they have to check it to see if your name is on the list. And if your name is there, then you can go through. And if your name is not, I don't know what happens. But I don't want to know what happens when your name's not on the list. And we we do that sort of thing too. We have a list. And if you're on my neighbor list, then I'll love you. But if you're not on the list, then... I've, I've given myself an excuse to not love you. And this is terrible. The parable is calling us to reflect on this very, very thing. For when, whenever you have a neighbor list, you also have a corresponding not-my-neighbor list. And these are the people that you have, for one reason or another, given yourself permission not to love. Perhaps the person on the list sinned against you last week or a long time ago. Perhaps they looked at you funny or said something to you or didn't say something to you. Perhaps they, they, perhaps they did actually do something terribly wicked against you. Or perhaps you think they did. Whatever it is, you've put them on the list and you've said they don't deserve my care or my love. I've met and sat with people in my office that have these family feuds that go back years and years. And people won't even say hello to one another. They won't even talk to one another. You, you, You can say to them, what about Jesus' command to love your neighbor? And the response is, well, they're not my neighbor. Do you know what I'm talking about? Repent. 
That's what this parable is calling us to. Repentance. To taking that neighbor list and the not my neighbor list and tearing it up. For you, dear Christian, do not have the option of choosing those that you will love and those that you won't. Perhaps, as I'm talking about this, there are people that you can think of. People that you have either either knowingly or unknowingly, uh, purposely or accidentally, people that you've put on your not-my-neighbor list, on my it's-okay-not-to-love-that-guy list. And that person, that person that's on your list, that is your neighbor that you are called to love. For you have that name uh, from Jesus. And you have his command from the Lord who gave his blood for you to love that person. And there's something even more in the text. For when we listen to our Lord telling this parable of the Good Samaritan, we find that the guy who finally comes along and helps the half-dead stranger in the ditch is a Samaritan. The Samaritans were were the people who moved into northern Israel after the ten northern tribes were wiped out by the Assyrians in the year 722 B.C. They were kind of a mix between those few Israelites that were left over and pagans that were imported. And so the Samaritans had a, a, a syncretistic worship. They, had, they, they worshipped idols under the name of God. Uh, they, they, were, they were a different people, a different culture, a different faith, and a, and a different race. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, uh, with a flat-out hatred. They despised them. They wouldn't walk through their lands. They, they wouldn't go close to them. They wouldn't talk to them if they saw them on the street. The Jews had, had a neighbor list that excluded an entire group of people. It's racism. And the text is against this. That if you, if you have a, a block of people that for one reason or another, uh, financially or ethnically or, or any other thing, that you have, you have blocked them off and said that I do not have the obligation to love them, the text again calls you to repent. Do I, do I not love that guy because he's Mexican or because he's black or because he's white or whatever it is? Repent. The command to love knows no distinctions, none whatsoever. And besides all this, the Bible knows nothing of what we call race, for all of us are related. We go back to Adam and even back to Noah. Uh, Race, at least the way we think of it nowadays, is not from the Bible, but is a doctrine of demons. But back to the text. For this law expert who's here trying to justify himself by asking Jesus for permission to not love some people, and Jesus simply will not have it. There is no one off the list. You are not free to not love anyone. But, and here's the tricky question, and I hope you're all still following me because this is really where we get down to it. There is another wrong answer to this question, who is my neighbor? And it is the answer that we normally give. In fact, it's the answer that I normally give. Who is my neighbor? And we answer, everybody. Everybody is my neighbor. Everybody in the world is my neighbor. 
Now, that answer is not necessarily wrong, but it is debilitating. It is a, it is a paralyzing answer. It's, like, it's the difference between me telling you, let's switch that around. It's the difference between you telling me to go mow the grass or to go mow all the grass in Colorado. <laughs> you see the difference? If you tell me to go all, mow all the grass in Colorado, how much grass do you think I'm going to mow? I'll just pass out now. But if you say mow the grass, this is the danger of, of, of making my neighbor everybody. Because now, well, what I've really done is I've used the law to excuse myself. It's too big, so now I love nobody. There's this movie that the kids have. It's called The Incredibles. Some of you might have seen it. The bad guy is in the movie, is all upset because he's not a superhero. So he goes about the business of building all of these little gadgets so that he can be, have superpowers and everyone else can have superpowers. And he says in the movie, he says, when everybody's super, then nobody's super. And this is a similar sort of thing. When everybody's my neighbor, then nobody's my neighbor. There's no way I can love everybody. And when we do this, we come awfully close to using the law against the law. We use the law as an excuse not to keep the law. We use the, law, we use the command to love as an excuse not to love. Do you see this? This is terrible. If we think that the law is impossible to keep, then we don't even try. So the devil in his craftiness has tricked us into not hearing what the Lord Jesus is saying. If we can leave this church after hearing this parable of the Good Samaritan, not thinking that we should love our neighbor, then we have missed the point because Jesus is so fantastically clear. He says it. Go and do likewise. And this is why our Lord Jesus turns the question around. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus comes back with the question after telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, who was a neighbor to the man? Who came along and saw the stranger in need and had compassion on him? That is the spilling out of his guts. The same word, by the way, used when Judas hung himself. Compassion, this, this deep this deep-seated, uh, overflowing mercy for them and cared for him. And that is the right question. We are here by the Lord Jesus called to a life of love and mercy for our neighbor in need. And we are compelled by this word of God and by our neighbor's need just as Jesus was compelled by our need. For neighbor is not just an idea or an abstraction, or some sort of vague concept. You, dear saints, have neighbors, real flesh and blood neighbors with real flesh and blood needs. It starts at home, with your spouse, with your children, with your family, with your friends. Those are your neighbors. And the people who live next to you, next door to you, who have the address next, they're your neighbor. You know, we always say, oh, your neighbors aren't just the people next door, but they should be included, shouldn't they? Your neighbors are the people that live around you, the people that you work with. You, have, you know their names. You know what their houses look like. You know which way they part their hair. And you have the command to love them. And, and here's something else. 
This past week, our congregation had the privilege of, of a visit from the Reverend Carlos Hernandez. He's a pastor from California. He, he works for the LCMS World Relief and Human Care. And he taught Bible class on Tuesday morning, and he visited our council on Tuesday night. And he, was, uh, he, he is teaching, well, he's teaching all the congregations of our synod, but he brought the question to us. Uh, the question that we ask, how can we, as a congregation love our neighbor. We as individuals and we as families ask the question, how can we love and serve our neighbors? But what about as a congregation? How do do we as the members of Hope Lutheran Church, how how do we love our neighbors in in this neighborhood? The idea that he has for this, which is a, a captivating idea, is the idea of corporate mercy. And it makes the acknowledgement that we, as members of this one body, in a certain place, have neighbors. In fact, Pastor Hernandez said, define your neighborhood. Draw it on the map. Give yourself parish boundaries. Because you don't want this idea of neighbor to be an abstraction so that you never do anything. So we did it. If you're wondering, I drew on the map. Colfax to the north, 6th Street to the south, Havana to the west, and Peoria to the east. Now, this does not mean, of course, that you live outside of these boundaries, that you can't come to church, because then there'd just be me and three of you. Well, not even me. Just three of you here. That's certainly not what it means. But it's an attempt to, to do what Jesus does here, to put, to put flesh and blood on this, on this word neighbor, so that we know who our neighbors are, and we, and we find out what they need. And we try to serve them with the capacity that the Lord Jesus has given to us. In fact, so concrete is this idea that Pastor Hernandez says, look, draw out your boundaries and then go ask the neighbors, what's the greatest need in this neighborhood and how can you help? We've, we've made a go at a start at it. We have our community meals once a month. There's talk, especially in the church council, and some of you might have heard this too, of, of looking into having a food pantry so that when people are hungry, they can come here once a week at least and get some things for the pantry. But there's so many wonderful opportunities if we simply ask, what do you need? I mean, this is the kind of... And it's not, and it's not easy, and it's not clean, it's not antiseptic, it's, er, you know, it's not without uh, its messes, but look at how it was with the Good Samaritan. Our Lord Jesus himself gives all of these great details about the help that this Samaritan gives to this man. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, that is the half-dead man in the ditch, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, He bound up his wounds. He poured on them oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and he took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he gives money to the innkeeper and says, take care of him. And if it costs anything else, when I get back, I'll repay you. This is a messy business, taking care of people and their needs. We might even be tempted to say, Pastor, there are so many There are so many needs. There are so many people who need so many things. We'll never be able to help everyone. But remember how that word everyone can paralyze us? It's true that we can't help everyone. 
But with the Holy Spirit, we can help Jim from across the street or Miguel from the apartments down the way or Juan and Carla who just moved in from Pueblo and are looking for a place for their children to come to Sunday school. These details, these knowing the neighbor's needs, this is how we are to act. For this is, after all, how the Lord acts towards us. For our dear Lord Jesus did not sit up in heaven asking who loved him enough or who was good enough to make his neighbor list and who wasn't. He looked at us, wallowing in our sin, wallowing in our death, and he had compassion on us. He came to us into our flesh and blood. He moved into our neighborhood. Jesus lived with us and He died for us so that He might have us, each and every one of us, as His own dear children. And He spilt His blood for us and for every one of our neighbors, wherever we are. His blood, His love, His undeserved compassion for us in the midst of our life of struggle, and in the midst of our failure to love. This is our hope and our joy and our life eternal. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.